Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, where each week Jonathan and his co-host interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing. Jonathan, take it away. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 478. We've got a great guest. Unfortunately, I haven't got my co-host, Adrian, the good-looking one and the intelligent one of our partnership. He's busy working away on the next update to Groundhog. So we thought we'd give him the week off. But he's been a good boy lately. Um, but we've got a great guest. We've got Abby Woodcock. And we're going to be talking about all things freelancing. You know, I've, I know, audience, that a lot of you are freelancers. So we're going to be covering the whole subject. And Abby's an expert on it. So, Abby, welcome to the show. And would you like to give us a quick introduction? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, so yeah, I'm Abby Woodcock and I run the Freelance Co-op, which is both a physical co-working space in upstate New York and a um, virtual online membership resource uh, bank for freelancers. Uh, and before that, I was a freelance copywriter for about 10 years. So. That's great. Before we go into the main part of our conversation, folks, I'd like to talk about one of our major sponsors, and that's Kinsta Hosting. And Kinsta, it's a premier WordPress-only hosting provider. They've been hosting the um, the WP Tonic website for over three years, and they've been a sponsor for almost three years. Um, they are superb hosting providers. So if you've got a client with a WooCommerce site, membership or e-learning site, you need better quality hosting either for your own project or for your client's projects. That's what you get with Kinsta. You get all the bells and whistles. You get staging site. You can choose what version of PHP will be running the site. You have every day backup really easy to install the backup and to be truthful when I'm working on clients websites and they're not with Kinsta and I look at what their hosting is like I think myself I couldn't use that hosting if you get used to the best it's hard to downgrade so if that sounds interesting go over to Kinsta have a look at their plans. I suggest that you should get one for yourself or for your clients. And also, the most important thing, remember to tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. So, let's get into it, Abby. So, I was looking over the website, your website, and some of the facts. And um, I think you were saying that a very large percentage of the population, the working population, is going to be freelance in the next few years. What are the kind of figures, actually? Yeah, so uh, there was a big study that was done in the U.S. Um, in the last couple of years about uh, how many people are freelancing, and they predict that by 2027, half of the American population uh, will be freelancing. Already about 44% of millennial people are doing uh, some sort of freelancing, either full-time or on the side. And um, there hasn't been a lot of studies worldwide, but I would guess that those numbers uh, are pretty consistent in other countries as well, um, because uh, just from my anecdotal experience working online, um, internationally, freelancing is just really skyrocketing as well. So um, yeah, so it's a huge opportunity. Uh, it's also a huge um, shift in how we think about work and how we think about the economy. Um, and so 
that's been really the central what I've been working on for the past three years is how can we, if this is the the truth of it, if 50% of people are going to be freelancing, what resources are available for people to work better and uh, kind of create the life that they want uh, through their work? Now, I think probably the biggest bugbearer of being a freelancer, apart from making a decent salary from it, is healthcare. Um, you know, obviously under Obama, I live in the US, um, so I have to pay for my own healthcare, um, and I get it through the Obama's exchange. So the situation's improved a little bit over the past few years, but it's still it's still very problematic. Every, can your um, association um, help at all with this, with advice or specific plans? Or have you got any kind of insights that might help listeners around healthcare? Sure. Yeah. So uh, the the big uh, issue with healthcare, um, well, there's many, but one of the big issues is that uh, you buy it through a state exchange uh, in most cases. So uh, it's kind of different from state to state of what kind of uh, healthcare that you can get as a freelancer in the U.S. So uh, one organization that we're working with, it's called Trupo, which is T-R-U-P-O. Uh, through the through the freelance co-op, and they help uh, freelancers with all kinds of benefits. So not just healthcare, but um, helping with um, kind of dental plans and insurance plans, and all these things that when you're working uh, for a corporation or you're working a nine to five, that's all kind of included in your compensation package. But you're absolutely right; it's one of many things that freelancers learn pretty quickly that they're responsible for. And um, so, yeah, we have a lot of conversations inside the co-op um, about all kinds of freelancer benefits, not just healthcare, but but that's obviously a major one and a major concern because um, a lot of freelancers either don't know how or you go through the process, which you've gone through. Uh, it's not an easy process yeah. to sign up for healthcare. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I do the same, um, even though uh, we run our business and we're a corporation now and I have a team because of how small we are, it's basically the same process that an individual freelancer goes through. Um, and so it's really, a, that's one of the, the many kind of difficulties. So yeah, absolutely. We, we talk about that a lot inside the co-op. Right, that's great. What, you know, because you, you've been running your kind of association um, for over three years now. So what are some of the most common um, questions that you are, are asked um, and what are also a couple of the basic mistakes that a lot freelancers do when they are starting up as a freelancer? Sure. Um, yeah, so freelancers, we've discovered uh, to be a successful freelancer, you really need three skills that you have to master. So the first one is you have to be good at whatever it is you do. So whether you're a photographer, a graphic designer, web developer, copywriter, you have to be good at that. Um, so you have to build those skills. Number two, you have to learn how to find clients and close those clients, which is a whole other skill set. And number three, you have to learn how to run a business, which most freelancers, especially uh, creative freelancers, which is the majority of, uh, of our co-op members, they focus on the craft, right? They, they learn that they can get paid to do something that they really enjoy doing, whether it's development or design or writing. And then all of a sudden they realize oh, no, I need to figure out how to pay taxes. And, oh, no, this client won't pay me and I have no contract and I don't know how to even write a contract or what to do when the client doesn't pay me. So what we've discovered inside the co-op is usually the biggest mistake that people make um, and and that goes along with the questions that people have 
is they focused on the craft. And, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't get good at what you do. Absolutely you should. But you also need to learn how to be a business owner or learn where the resources are that can help you with that. And um, so a lot of the questions that we get inside the co-op are around uh, legal questions. How do, I form, how do I write a contract? How do I find a lawyer to help me write a contract? Uh, what happens when the client doesn't pay? Um, and also tax time is a really uh, busy time for us uh, because uh, freelancers, especially new freelancers, you know, maybe you've just done it your first year of freelancing and say you've made $40,000 and it's like, wow, that's like a, that's a, that's a pretty good year for the first year. And then you realize, oh, and that means I owe seven to $10,000 to the government that I had no idea that, that <laughs> that's how it works. Because again, if you worked for a corporation, that's taken out of your paycheck and it's, it's not really as stressful of time. But uh, for freelancers, that's a huge mistake too, is, is um, not planning for those kinds of things, both, both legally and, and taxes. So that's a lot of what we do inside the co-op. Yeah, especially um, in states when you've got, you got the state corporation tax or um, income tax, because they can be more, especially, you know, I live in Nevada where we don't have a state corporation tax, but we have a lot of people um, we work with that are living in California. Yeah. And the California tax, um, state tax collecting um, can be more aggressive than the federal, I understand. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, New York is the same way, which is where I live. So yeah, New York and California are, are big ones um, uh, with state taxes. They are, they are much more aggressive than the federal tax, uh, the federal taxes. And um, in some states, even you have to pay sales tax um, on certain types of services. So um, there's, a, there's a couple states where if you're a graphic designer, for example, that you have to charge your clients sales tax and then pay that sales tax to the government, so to the state government. So um, yeah, it, it can get really, really confusing really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to watch that, folks. Um, so the other side of it, you know, the business side, but then you've got the sales side. So you've got any yeah. insights that you've um, observed through your three years when it comes to advising freelancers around sales? Sure. Um, yeah. So this is a big uh, issue as well. It's like, okay, great. I have this skill, but now where do I find clients? And even when I find them, you know, how do I turn them into clients? How do I have a sales call, for example? And uh, I think one thing, especially creative freelancers, because they tend to be a bit introverted. So um, sales is a really uh, difficult uh, process for them. And one way that I'm actually in San Diego today um, at an event, um, live events has been a huge way that, um, that I found clients and that I also we, we coach people through finding clients at live events and how to have those conversations. Um, really, it comes down to making sure that you follow up with anybody that you talk to. So just like you would in marketing with your leads, you'd send them emails and you'd follow up and uh, it's really important to do that with your prospective clients as well. And I think that if I could give one tip about uh, better sales as a freelancer, it's following up and keeping in conversations with your leads and staying top of mind. Um, even if they're not ready for your services, you know, you never know when they're going to meet somebody that would be interested in what you're doing or they're suddenly going to have a need and you're going to be the first person that they think of. Mm-hmm. I think also it's one of the great benefits um, that a lot of people don't realize in working at a co-working facility, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we just had um, a really great project that we did. The 
the mayor of the town that we're in, which is uh, Oneida, New York, uh, came to the co-op and said, hey, we want to do this promotional video for the city. Um, we have no idea where to start. Well, we, because of the co-op, we had uh, a videographer, we had writers, we had editors. Um, and so we kind of supplied all those people um, through our space to the mayor's office and did a project together. That's why it's called the co-op. You know, we do projects together, but yeah, getting out and just, I hate the word networking, but <laughs> but being in, in communication with other freelancers, uh, both in your industry and um, out of your industry. A good friend of mine is a graphic designer. Like I said, I was a, a freelance copywriter. We would refer projects back and forth all the time because a lot of the graphic projects that he needed, he needed writing support. And when I did writing, I needed graphic support. So, um, you know, having those kind of, uh, tandem industries and, and making friends with people in those industries is always a really good way to to find those referrals as well. And also the kind of um, isolation element that can come from freelancing, especially if you're used to working at the kind of nine to five kind of corporate or um, digital agency that's got a physical office and then you go freelance and it can, it can be very isolating, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge, a huge thing. Uh, we had this conversation yesterday. I had a small workshop uh, that we ran yesterday, and that was a huge topic of conversations. Was just like the 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 mental side of it, which is you know comes a lot from the isolation of like, is this normal? <laughs> what I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit lonely. Nobody understands. I joke all the time. My mom still has no idea what I do for a living, and so having those conversations with you know friends and family, um, like a lot of times they just don't understand. And so um, you know having friendships. Um, I have a good friend uh, named Chris, who's a uh, copywriter as well. We talk almost every morning uh, on audio message through Facebook um, just because it's just somebody to check in with that, that understands what we're going through and, and the ups and downs and the frustrations with clients and um, all that stuff that you know friends and family don't always understand. So having a, a space that you can either go to and have those conversations or just people that you've connected with that um, you know, can relate to what you're going through for sure. That's great. We're going to go for our break, folks. When we come back with um, Abby's help, we're going to be delving a bit more into the whole business of freelancing. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WPTonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm missing Adrian, my, co- my co-host. Um, you'd be asking much better questions of Abby, but there, I don't think I've done too bad. How have I done so far? You've been great so far. (laughs) I don't think I've done too bad. I'm notorious, Abby, for my very long-winded multi-point questions. I love it. I've been trying to keep them 
very focused <laughs> and, and one question at a time rather than giving you a, a three-minute question with five elements to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I am notorious for it. So I don't think I've done too bad in my books. So um, so you're based in New York, so I've got to bring this up, we work, you know, and then collapsing. Um, was you that shocked, you know, you're in that business, so... Was there rumours around? And uh, I am going to do a multi-point question. I'm sorry, Abby. I'm going to go for it. And That's the, all right. And <laughs> the second, <laughs> and the second point is what? How should somebody um, choose the right co-working facility? Uh, have you got any tips and insights? Sure. Yeah. So uh, WeWork was really interesting uh, because uh, a lot of times when I explained what the co-op was. And our vision, because we're in one small town right now, but our kind of our long-term vision is to um, provide resources for freelancers in small towns across the U.S. And um, so eventually uh, we'd like to do that. And so when I would talk about it, I would say, you know, kind of like we work. And obviously that's not a great comparison anymore, but there's a couple things with WeWork um, that I think have been actually really helpful in kind of a case study uh, for me as I grow the co-op. Uh, one thing that WeWork did is they started investing in a lot of different things outside of what their core benefit was. So, uh, you know, there was the notorious uh, story about the school that they started and they uh, they had, you know, all these, if you look at the, they called it the We Companies at the end there. And if you look at all the different branches that they had, there's a like kind of a wheel chart that you can look up if you look up We Companies because they had started like, 10 to 12 different subsets of the organization. And when you, when you spread your resources that thin, um, it's really difficult, um, to, to kind of focus and, and have a, a viable organization. And I think that came from the, uh, CEO of WeWork was very much like me where he's an ideas person, right? And you kind of chase all these ideas. And I think entrepreneurs do that a lot. Um, I'm lucky to have a, a business partner that, uh, is very operations focused. So uh, I'll have an idea and he'll kind of back me up and say, okay, well, that's interesting. Let's look at it practically. And I think it's really important if you're an ideas person to have somebody uh, that can do that because uh, I always say if if he ran the business himself, we'd never grow. If I ran my business myself, like we'd run out of money really quickly because I uh, like our first uh, office, I wanted to buy a building before we even had proof of concept. And <laughs> he said, that's probably not a good idea to buy a building quite yet. So, um, so I understand kind of how that would happen in WeWork. Um, so, um, it's been really, really, um, educational for us to kind of watch that. that but do you think happen. the whole, the whole fiasco, yeah, it wasn't a fiasco for the founder because he walked away, looks really, he hasn't been punished at all, but that's a totally separate, um, sure separate question but in general do you think what happened to WeWork has kind of really um, damaged um, the reputation of co-working in general or do you think it was a big story and it's soon forgotten? Well I think definitely yeah so as far as when it comes to getting capital and getting funding uh, for businesses which we have just actually started um, exploring this year um, when there's a big story like that in an industry, it really does kind of damage the industry um, in the eyes of investors, in the eyes of banks, because they're like a little wary to see until the the industry kind of flattens out. So 
Um, I think for sure, but I think co-working in general is going to, especially as freelancing grows, um, co-working is going to grow as well. And the, the other part of your question about choosing a co-working space, you know, I think co-working is so, so important for freelancers. I love working from home. I work from home a lot, but you need to get out there and you need to, you know, be in a space that uh, allows you to, number one, be away from home and all the things like laundry and dishes and grocery shopping that, that pull you away from work. And also, like you said, um, working alongside other people in, in similar uh, and adjacent industries. And so I think thinking about the co-working space, I think, number one, I'm somebody that, that wants to be in a beautiful space. Uh, when we designed the co-op, that was number one, was I want it to be a place that I enjoy working. Um, I don't like working in kind of those windowless hotel conference room type places, you know, like I just, beauty is really important to me. Maybe it's important to, to the viewers and maybe it's not, but thinking about what are those, what does your work environment need to look like um, is really important. And what other types of people are at the co-working space? So there's a co-working space um, uh, about an hour from me that mm. focuses big time on startups and tech startups. Um, that's really great for those people. That's not, that's not really where I want to be working because those aren't the type of people that, um, I think you've just made an excellent point there, um, is, um, that there are subsectors in the co-working, um, sector, isn't there? For sure. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're a tech startup, you want to be in that place with other tech startups. If you're a creative freelancer, you want to be around other creative freelancers. And so, um, and so thinking about, okay, like what type of people, and you can have those conversations when we, uh, before we opened up our space, we toured, uh, probably a, a dozen different co-working spaces just to kind of see their experience. And they were happy to, to just give us a tour and tell us all about the place. So you can tour the place and say, Hey, I want to set up a tour or I want to talk to somebody and they'll tell you what type of people are there, what, what the vibe is, if it's really busy or if it's really quiet, you know, it depends on, on what you need. Um, I've worked at a few co-working um, and they all have a very different feel. So I think uh, the advice, and I want to see if you would agree, is not just to choose the nearest one. You know, if you, if you, have, if you do have a choice um, of co-working, it really is beneficial if you spend a little bit of time and, and go to those that are a reasonable distance and not just choose the, the closest one. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, the environment is so important and especially in creative fields or fields where you like, you want to be in a, in a place where you feel comfortable and you, where you feel good to work at. So yeah, I would, you know, advise anybody to tour a couple different ones and, and see what they feel like and what the, what the kind of vibe is. I'm not a woo woo person, but you know, places have energy. And so mm. uh, what, what the energy is when you walk in and when you sit to work. So you've been running the co-working facility for a year. What has been the biggest surprises in this journey of a physical co-working establishment? It was uh, a big shock when we started. Not, I wouldn't say shock, but it was something that we had to get used to um, because I had been freelancing online from home. Um, you basically have no overhead in a business. And uh, so having the co-working and just little things like, oh, we have to buy toilet paper and soap, which is now like impossible to find and crazy expensive. <laughs> like, and so, um, you know, thinking about those little things, um, but, you know, for pleasant surprises, it's just been amazing um, being part of the business community in a way that I haven't locally. 
um, just by having a space. You know, it, uh, we're getting so much support now from uh, from the community. That's why I'm really hopeful that this is a model that other towns can do as well. You know, our office supply store, our local coffee shop, our local restaurants, like they all want to support what we're doing. Um, and I've just you know, I've lived in the community where our co-working space is my whole life, but I, it, it's, I'm a part of it in a different way now. And it's been really kind of a beautiful thing to see. Oh, well, that's good. So um, when it comes to actually women working at co-working, childcare can be, a, especially preschool, um, it's extremely expensive um, in this country and it's very expensive in Britain as well. Um, do you, do you think there's any possibility that some co-working facilities might be able to help with that in some way or for some discounts or what's your views about that in general? Yeah, absolutely. So I, the reason that I started freelancing was uh, I had two kids and I wanted to be home with them. And so um, freelancing has allowed me to, to, before my kids were in school, uh, they're 12 and 10 now, but um before the kids were in school, it allowed me to be home with them. And that was a huge part of it. But getting out was, was really difficult. And I know there are a lot of co-working spaces, especially the bigger ones that actually offer childcare as part of it. And uh, oh, wow. so, yeah, if that's a factor, absolutely. Um, I've, I've been there with that, with that struggle for sure. Um, and kind of weighing, you know, what are those costs? And is it worth, you know, having childcare for a day so you can get out and work once a week? Um, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't depending on the economics of your specific area. But yeah, co-working, I think um, some spaces are really looking into that because it's really important um, to, be, to be around other adults, to be around other professionals when you're, mm. uh, when you're a, a, a parent of young children. Um, it's, it's kind of exhausting to have the only uh, person-to-person contact that you have in a day uh, be with a two-year-old, you know, so... So was, have you also, um, another, you know, some of the more progressive and more established co-working facilities I've worked at, Abby, have also um, tried to build relationships with colleges and schools as well. Is that something you're looking to do and uh, how important do you think that is? Yeah, so to, to kind of, you know, broaden out the the topic a little bit, so the reason that we started uh, the co-op in the town that we did, like I said, I grew up in that town, is small towns across the U.S. and especially in the Northeast, which is called the Rust Belt, which is where I live. A lot of these small towns had manufacturing and they were built around manufacturing. In Oneida, it was built around silverware. Um, when manufacturing left, uh, the town kind of suffered and a lot of the most ambitious, smartest people have left to go to bigger cities. And we saw an opportunity. I've lived and worked uh, in my community my whole life. Uh, The last decade, I made a really, really good living as a freelancer and started to realize this is a huge opportunity for small towns if they provide resources for freelancers. Um, Because freelancers can work from anywhere and the cost of living is low. It's a great place to raise a family, all these things. And so now thinking about it in the, you know, colleges and high schools even, you know, I went to career day when I was in high school and they talked about what it was like to be a lawyer and what it was like to be a doctor and what it was like to be uh, work in banking and all these kind of corporate jobs. I never heard about freelancing when I was in high school. And now uh, we are, you know, starting to form these partnerships with the local schools so that on career day, we say, hey, here's another option. You can stay here in town 
you can work online, you can do creative, um, you know, creative services, you can be a freelancer, there's all these other options. And so uh, as the freelance economy grows, I think you're going to see more and more of that in high schools and colleges that um, the co-working spaces obviously have a um, an investment of forming these relationships because these become clients later on. But um, bigger than that, I think supporting the freelancing community and making creative freelancing a sustainable career path for somebody in high school or college is, is a huge passion of mine. We're going to wrap up the podcast part of the show. Abby's agreed to stay on for another 10 minutes, which you'll be able to watch on the WP Tonic website with a full transcription and links to some of the things we've discussed during the show. So, Abby, if people want to find out more about you, you um, what you're up to and your co-working facility, what's the best way to find out more? Sure. The best way to find us is at freelancecoop.org. So there's no dashes in that. So it's spelled kind of like freelance coop. Um, so freelancecoop.org. Uh, they can find out about our physical location in upstate New York and also um, our online membership, which provides resources like legal templates, tax training. We do monthly live, uh, live stream trainings on topics related to freelancing and business. So uh, all of that is, uh, is at, at freelancecoop.org. And if you want to support the show, folks, the best thing is to go to the WP Tonic website and join our monthly newsletter. We've totally revamped it for 2020. It's a combination of uh, some e-learning stories with a lot of WordPress latest news stories and plug-in recommendations that come from my panel from the WP Tonic Roundtable show that we do live every Friday at 8.30 a.m., Pacific Standard Time, and you can watch that on the on the WP Tonic Facebook page, or download it from the YouTube channel. But that would be the best way. And also, if you do that, you're automatically entered into our monthly prize draw. That um, means that end of each calendar month, we take one new subscriber, and they win a prize up to the value of one hundred dollars. That's not bad, is it? Can it be even more if one of my sponsors? gives us a license to one of their plugins, it can be a lot more. So that's not a bad thing to do, isn't it, listeners? Viewers? We'll be back with another great guest, hopefully with my great, good-looking and intelligent co-host as well next week. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.